That was really cool. Hey, guys. Ben, thank you for such a nice introduction. Um, I'll get to the part where I introduce myself and maybe we'll get to know each other a little more. But if it's okay with you, I want to start right away with some scripture tonight. So go ahead, flip your Bible open. I do have the Gospel of Matthew. So we will be in Matthew 1. Actually, Matthew 1, 1, right at the beginning. Um, Go ahead and flip to it. It'll be on the screens behind me. And here is what it says. Matthew 1, 1 says, this is the genealogy. This is the family tree. This is the lineage of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Get used to that. Abraham was the father of Isaac and Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amnadab. Amnadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Great biblical name. If you're going to name your kid a biblical name, try to pick one that's not a fish. We don't know a ton about Salmon, but maybe it's because his parents named him after a fish. Anyway, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. We've heard of King David. Beautiful guy. Can sing. Long hair. Mighty warrior. But we're going to keep going. Verse 7. Moving on. Matthew 1, verse 7 says this. Can we get that on the screen, please? Or I'll I'll flip to it, too. It's okay. Um, Moving on. Matthew... One, verse seven, we're continuing on. It'll hop behind me. Solomon, oh, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. And here we go. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amnon. Amnon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. Man, the gospel of Matthew is awesome. Round three, this is the hardest one. Try to say these names in your head. Moving on. Verse 12. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abahud. Abahud, the father of Elikim. Elikim, the father of Azar. Azar, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elahud. Elahud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Amen. (laughs) Thus, there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and then 14 more from the exile to the Messiah. That's 42 names we just went through. Verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. This is the gospel of Matthew. Are you excited? (laughs) Um, So as Ben introduced me, my name is Sean Broderick. I'm the director of student ministries here at Grace Point, which is really, um, my bosses can't call me the youth pastor because I haven't finished my classes, but I'm trying really hard and I'm going to get it done soon. Um, But tonight we are starting this brand new series, this mosaic series, where we're looking at these four gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, and it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm starting with Matthew, the first one on the list. And I'm going to make my way over here really quick. This is something that we're going to get familiar with throughout the series. But I just want to unveil this. This is week one, night one. Um, If I had to pick a color, I would have picked this. So I'm glad that I get the color yellow. We're going over the gospel of Matthew tonight. 
And if you're anything like me, um, as Ben said, it's so cool that I get to preach at Oasis in my head because this is where I gave my life to Jesus when I walked in as a freshman and just kind of got plugged in and eventually it led to working here, which is just kind of crazy and a story for another time. But the gospel of Matthew is near and dear to my heart because maybe you've, you've heard this advice and I think it's good advice, but maybe like me, you accepted Jesus when you were a young adult, maybe when you were here at SDSU at college and the, you wanted to get into the Bible. You wanted to read, see what the word's about, learn more about Jesus. And the advice that you were given was start with the gospels. Start with the gospels, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, find out about Jesus. And if you're kind of like overachiever like me and it's like, well, Matthew's the first one. This is where I'm going to start. This is what you read to get you excited to read the Bible with, <laughs> with a bunch of names that I guessed on maybe 70% of those pronunciations, but the, the pastor has to act confident like they know. I knew most of them, but this is where we started. And we start thinking, okay, there's a lot of names, some cool ones, some named after fish. What does this mean about Jesus? And I hope that I can point you in a direction that maybe we can get something from this tonight. But before we go farther into the Gospel of Matthew, we need to know a little bit about who Matthew is. What is this letter? Um, how is the Gospel of Matthew different from Mark, Luke, or John? And that's what we're going to talk about over this next month. But the first thing that you need to know about Matthew, first and foremost, is that Matthew is a Jew. Matthew is a Jew, and that is important for primarily two different reasons. Um, but this scripture will probably not make a ton of sense to you unless you know that Matthew is a Jew. And that's because in Jewish culture, there are two things that are very important to Jews. Um, one of which is probably a little more important than the other. So we'll start with the least important one. And in Jewish culture, and maybe a lot of cultures, but specifically in Jewish culture, family is very, very important. So that would explain this 42-layer family tree that we start off the Gospel of Matthew with. And family is so important. We see this straight from the jump. So Matthew, a Jew, is writing this letter, the Gospel of Matthew, to who? To who? Matthew, as a Jew whose life was transformed by Jesus because he saw what Jesus did, came to know, came to call himself a Jewish Christian. He, he was a Jew and he followed those ways, but then he saw Jesus and he was like, whoa, this guy is different. This guy is fully man, fully God. I believe in being a Jew and this is all great, but this guy, this is it. So if we were Jews sitting in here tonight, and maybe some of you have Jewish ties in your family, um, you'll really find some cool things if you know anything about Jewish history in the Gospel of Matthew. But for some of us, there are things that we might look over really quick. And the first thing is family. And when I talk about Jewish families, it's not this typical Western world family where we have a husband and a wife and two kids and they're living on the corner lot and they are just having a great time in their white picket fence. Instead, when you think of a Jewish family, think of the Hispanic family where they have their husband and wife and the wife's parents and the parents' parents and you got the uncles and the tios and whatever else is Spanish. This is it moves from a corner lot of four people to now we're on a plantation with five different houses and everybody lives together. That's what the Jewish family is like. And I don't want to get too deep in this without you getting to know me a little bit. So I have a story to tell you about family. Um, two years ago, my idea was family, of family was completely revolutionized. Um, and this is going to be a surprise to some of you who know me well. But two years ago, I learned what fatherhood was like. Um, July 4th, 2018, 
I would like you to turn your eyes to the screen, please. And this is the story of how I became a father. Oh, man. So this guy showed up in my front yard one day. He's coming. He's coming. Ignore the hair. Also ignore the outfit. I don't know. I don't know how to lost dude. So he wouldn't leave, so we brought him in a car, naturally, um, to the park to try to release him. And here's what happened. Come on, over. This is your home. Yeah, let's go. to go home. Go, 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 go. Time to say goodbye. He's gonna follow us. It's so sad. He's following us. <laughs> he loves us too much. Oh, that's not healthy. Wilbur, buddy. really can't make this up. I don't know how this happened. You will. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Go, go home. We love you, but go home. <laughs> He's coming this far. <laughs> so that's it. Um, that's Wilbur Broderick. Uh, Unfortunately, it stormed the two days after that. We went back to the park, couldn't find him anywhere. So draw your own conclusions. Uh, I know, not quite the heartwarming story, but the primary thing that we're all taking from this is the Jewish culture really values family. <laughs> so everybody knows that, right? So the Jewish culture really values family, and now you can view me as a real human who does stuff like that and who has bad haircuts and worse outfits. But... So the Jewish culture that Matthew is a part of and the Jewish culture that Matthew is writing to in this values family a lot. And as a father, that's something I can relate to. <laughs> but if there's a second thing that the Jewish culture values more than family, if you're a note taker, write that down. The Jewish culture values family. The thing that they might value more, they do value more. The only thing they value more than that is the Old Testament. 
And I don't know what your biblical knowledge is, but typically the Bible, if it has to be divided into two sections, people will say that it's the Old Testament, which is Genesis through Malachi, and the New Testament. And that starts with where we are right now, Matthew, all the way to Revelation. And And the New Testament talks about Jesus and his life and the church that follows after it. And the cool thing is that includes us right here. We're part of that church. But the Old Testament is something that the Jews would have viewed as the entire Bible at this time. And the Old Testament was also called the law and the prophets because that's exactly what it consisted of. The Old Testament was the law and the prophets and the law in the way that it told the Jews how to live. It gave us the Ten Commandments, and it told us to honor our father and mother and don't have any gods besides God, and it told the Jews how to sacrifice animals in the correct way that God could receive it as worship. That was the law. But the second part of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, are exactly that, prophets. Prophets are are people who God sent to earth, and he told them words to, to proclaim to the rest of the world. So these prophets would say there is something good that is coming. God is eventually going to come as this king. And that was what the Jews were waiting for, for this king to come in and to lead them to victory over their enemies, over anything they could have ever had. So the Jewish culture, it values family and it values the Old Testament. Those are the two main things you need to know before we continue to dive into Matthew, okay? So hopefully you have those written down. Hopefully you had those in your head somewhere. Tonight, when we're looking at the gospel of Matthew, And in this series, we believe that as you look at each gospel, there are unique things that you can learn about Jesus. I want to, if you're going to write down anything, the big idea of the gospel of Matthew is that this is the gospel of fulfillment. The gospel of Matthew is the gospel of fulfillment. And there are a couple different ways that we're going to attack this tonight. And fulfillment is a very fluid word. My undergraduate degree is in English, so I'm a big words guy. Um, So naturally, when we're looking at the word fulfillment, and if that's our main word for tonight, we have to define it. We have to all be on the same page with what fulfillment is. And this is important for tonight too. Fulfillment is this. Fulfillment is the achievement of something that is predicted, the achievement of something that is promised, or the achievement of something that is desired. That's what fulfillment is. So the gospel of Matthew, we can view as the gospel of fulfillment. And we're going to go through these three things something that was predicted, promised, or desired tonight, right now. We're going to continue looking at how the gospel of Matthew shows the achievement of something that was predicted. We're going to continue right after this genealogy that we had a great time reading. Matthew 1, verse 18, we're going to continue on, and it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to bring Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, this is important. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. Then in quotes, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. 
Those last two verses are especially important for us. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. And then we have something in quotes. It says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. Matthew as a Jew is very fluent with the Old Testament. He knows what the Old Testament says, the law and the prophets. He's been studying it for years. He is a devout Jew. And when he puts this last verse in quotes, that's because this is found in the Old Testament. This is something that is predicted. Fulfillment, the achievement of something that is predicted. This exact verse is in Isaiah 7.14, written 700 years before Jesus was ever on earth. When Isaiah was speaking to Ahaz, you remember that name? That was in our genealogy. Ahaz, I hope you wrote those all down, right? Ahaz, the king of Judah, he said, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There it is. It's predicted 700 years before it ever happened. And this is not the first time it happens in the gospel of Matthew because listen to this. Matthew, as a Jew who really knows the Old Testament well, in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are 29 different verses from the Old Testament that are referenced. 29 in all four of them. But 20 of them are found in Matthew. And that's because he's writing to a Jewish audience and he knows that these people know the Old Testament and he wants to show off and be like, look at this. This is something different. This is 20 things that were predicted and Jesus is doing it. I want to show you another one. Matthew 2, 13 through 15 is talking about the Christmas story when Mary and Joseph are traveling. And it says, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. He said, and angels are just always talking to Joseph. That's crazy. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, he took the child and his mother during the night, and they left for Egypt where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Wait, 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 15. Where he stayed until the death of Herod, and so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Quotes, out of Egypt I called my son. Once again, we look to Hosea 11.1, 1, written 700 years before Jesus had ever been there, when God is speaking to this prophet Hosea about the nation Israel. And it says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And if you were a Jew reading this as Matthew wrote it to you in quotes, and he kept putting quotes over and over of this book that you thought was the holiest thing in the world 700 years ago, and this Jesus is perfectly living it out, you start to think that something's going on. One last one, Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3, they're talking about John the Baptist and his role when it comes to ushering Jesus into the people. And it says this, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. The what Isaiah? The prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 43 says this, a voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Like I said, there are 20 in the Gospel of Matthew, and I could let the entirety of the rest of my message be them, but I don't think we just want to keep doing that. But the next time you read through the Gospel of Matthew, look for these quotes, and it's going to blow your mind how many times it pops up as he's addressing his Jewish audience. But back to fulfillment. So this is the gospel of fulfillment. So it's the achievement of things that are predicted, promised, or desired. So let's move to promised. Promised, many of us have been told, and the people even in this biblical era, were told that Jesus is delivering this promise that if we believe in him, we can be given eternal life and live with him forever. 
And the thing that I love about Matthew, as he writes these stories about Jesus, he just tells it like it is. And he takes this direct quote from Jesus in his most famous sermon of all time, which is in the Gospel of Matthew. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is preaching to all of this, all these people, this large crowd that gathered around him, and he starts talking about eternity. He starts talking about the kingdom of heaven. And if you want to follow along, it's in chapter 5, verse 17. And this is what Jesus says to the people. Verse 17, Jesus says this. Do not think, and this is so important for the Jewish audience he was writing to. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I'm not here to take those away from you. I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. He did that, but... Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands perfectly will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. That's not good news for us because we're not going to do that. Verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, unless you're better than the best, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Not exactly a motivational sermon by Jesus. Telling everyone that unless you live this thing perfectly, you're not going to get to the kingdom of heaven. You know that, right? (laughs) Amen, Jesus, preach. No. (laughs) What? This is bad news for us. This is bad news for us. But luckily, this isn't all of the news, right? As we look back in the middle of that, and it says none of this will be fulfilled until somebody does it perfectly. Luckily, the one who was speaking was the one who would live it perfectly. And because of that, oftentimes I think in the church, we think about, okay, what am I promised by following Jesus? Okay, I'm promised that I will have eternal life. And once I'm good with Jesus, I have eternal life, then I can do whatever I want. It's awesome. I love being a Christian. But that's not where the promise ends, and that's where we're going to tie in this final fulfillment Um, this final definition of fulfillment. So once again, we're looking back at our definition of fulfillment and fulfillment is the achievement of something that is predicted, that is promised. We've covered those two or desired. And this is where I want to spend the rest of our night on this fulfillment, this achievement of something that is desired. And I think if I asked everybody in this room what they desired, we would all have a lot of different answers. Maybe some of us are shooting for a really nice career, six figures, let's go. I will never touch that in my life because I'm not smart enough and pastors don't get paid that much, uh, especially not directors of student ministry who haven't finished their classes. Uh, or maybe it's just these friendships in this relationship where you get your desire. But I want to look at one final passage in the Gospel of Matthew, and this is my favorite one. It's not even close to anything else. Um, And it's in Matthew 16. This is where we're going to finish out the night, but I want to work through this with you, and it's really cool. So Matthew 16, verse 13. Jesus is, in the most Jesus way possible, hanging out with his, his 12 best friends, the disciples. They're hanging out, and I would assume... If it's Jesus, there's probably food because Jesus loves eating with people and they're all just hanging out. And it says this, it says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he's with his 12 disciples. He turns to them and he says, who do people say the son of man is? Who do people say that I am? And it's lighthearted. They're all hanging out. They're talking. And I like to imagine they kind of start 
laughing as it says they replied. So all of them are talking and they say, Jesus, you're not going to believe this. Some people say that you're John the Baptist. We literally just read in chapter three that John the Baptist was with Jesus. Like John the Baptist baptized Jesus. Okay. So some say that you're John the Baptist, not to not to mention the fact that John the Baptist has been beheaded. So he can't be him. He's not around. Jesus, some people say that you're John the Baptist. <laughs> others say that you're Elijah. Do you believe that? And still others say you're Jeremiah or you're one of the prophets. It's, it's crazy. Can you believe that they think this? And all the disciples are probably slapping their knees, looking at each other. Man, the world is crazy. They don't know Jesus like us. Verse 15, Jesus changes the tone of the conversation quick. And he says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? And in my head as I'm reading this, I can't help but picture they're still, it never said they're at a table, but I'm just kind of picturing it. They're at a table. And then suddenly when they're laughing, they're now all on the edge of their seat. And Jesus says, who do you say that I am? All the disciples are like, mm-hmm. um, go ahead. Yeah, you can say first. Um, so finally, instead of they this time, on the next verse, it says, one bold adventurer steps up, and it's Simon Peter. And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. And the room is probably still a little quiet, because Jesus just asked a very pointed question, and everybody else was too scared to answer except for Simon Peter, and they're wondering if he got it right. And Jesus is sitting there, and Simon Peter's sitting there. And finally, verse 17, it says, Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you, Peter, and on this rock, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I think he got it right. I think he got the answer right. But I want to look at this in, in this idea of if the gospel of Matthew is the gospel of fulfillment and it's this thing that we desire, what does this interaction mean? What does this interaction between Simon Peter and Jesus mean? I think we have this conversation a lot in the church. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do the people around you say that Jesus is? What does the world around you say that Jesus is? And some of the answers, honestly, if we know the truth that's in this word, are just as laughable as John the Baptist. Like, yeah, it's true. Okay, Jesus was the most influential person of all time. That's okay. That's, that's not the true answer. Or to say he was, he was a great moral teacher, that's not it. We're missing it. But when Jesus asks them, he says, Okay, that's great. That's what the world thinks. Okay, I'm glad you have this pulse of the world and what they think. Who do you say that I am? I don't know how many of us have actually answered that question for ourselves. If Jesus were to look at us and ask, who do you say that I am? The great thing about it is there's one thing that we don't know. We don't know what we're going to say, but I know what God's going to say. Because in the way that he responds to Simon Peter, what he does say is he says, blessed are you, Simon Peter. Yes, you got it. What he doesn't say when Simon Peter says, you're the Messiah, you're the savior of the world. He doesn't say, 
Well, Peter, why aren't you acting like it? Why haven't you been praying? Why haven't you been in the word? If I'm your Messiah, then why does your life look like I'm not your Messiah? Jesus doesn't say that. And Jesus doesn't say, well, geez, you said that three years ago at a church camp when you were on an emotional high, and now you're going to say it again? You can't just flip-flop back and forth like that, Peter. He doesn't say that. He says, blessed are you, and not only blessed are you, but you are what the church needs. This is what we will build the church on. People who will believe and step out and say that, yes, not only do I believe that Jesus is what was predicted, because that's easy. We can look at this book and see that. Not only do I believe that Jesus can give me the promise of eternal life, that's great. I feel like a lot of people in this room could say that and not make it personal at all. But what Jesus wants is to be the fulfillment of our desire for us to personally look at him and say, you are not just the savior of the world or a good guy, Jesus, but you are my Messiah. You are, yes, the one who fulfilled these prophecies, but you are, you're it. You're God, fully man, fully God. And we can invite the worship team up. I'm about to close here. And as we do close, I want to just invite you in these last couple minutes that we have together. We're going to give you a minute or two to pray. And I really don't want you to overlook this, this last question that Jesus asks to Simon Peter. Just think about that. Maybe we can get it on the screen one more time. Um, it's verse 15, Matthew 16, 15. After they had joked around and they're joking around, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say that I am? I think we do a disservice a lot of times. We all just walk in here. We just assume, man, yeah, I gave my life to Jesus when I grew up in a Christian home or when I had this revolutionary image from God at a camp or something. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have never come to this moment where we went to God in prayer and told him who he is to us. And the great thing is, is how does Jesus answer? He doesn't say, he doesn't answer back with anything other than a loving welcome say, blessed are you, Simon Peter. Yes, this is it. I love you. He doesn't, there's plenty of wrong that Simon Peter did to this point. And there are plenty of wrongs that I've done. And it makes me hesitant to go to Jesus and say, you're it. I'm all in, knowing that I'm probably going to mess up the next day. But it's Jesus's reply that we just need to stop focusing on yourself so much, but focus on Jesus who says, blessed are you. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, on people like you who believe that I am their fulfillment and are willing to give it a chance and say, Jesus, you're it. I don't know for sure, but I know in this moment that this is what I need. That's what the church needs. Ask yourself that question. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Can I pray for you? Jesus, we thank you for being fulfillment. In short, God, I thank you for the gospel of Matthew. Uh, just, just an average intellectual Jew of his time who liked to write down things that he saw inspired by the Holy Spirit to give this true account of who you are and how it can still affect our lives daily today. God, I, I thank you for when you ask us, who do we say that you are? We know exactly what you say about us and that's a beloved son or daughter who is made in your image and there's nothing we can do to change that that's how you view us. 
I pray if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't truly believe that, convince them in these next few moments, God. Convince them over the next week. Convince them through the people they talk to, through the Jesus that they see in the people in this room as they walk out of Grace Point's building, God. Show up, because we believe that you are it. You are the fulfillment. You are the Messiah. We thank you for tonight, and we thank you for their word, and thank you for sending your son so we can live with you eternally. It's all this in your name we pray. Amen.